this is Kara Foster from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky, and you're listening to our sermons podcast. And if you want to find out more information, you can connect with us at www.madisonvilledisciples.org or come in person at 1030 College Drive on Madisonville, Kentucky. Subscribe and enjoy these podcasts. Today is the first Sunday of the Christian season of Lent. Lent is 40 days, not counting Sundays, that the early church set aside as a time of prayer, reflection, fasting, repentance. It's a time to be intentional about growing closer in our walk with Christ. Early church leaders looked and saw that the number 40 seemed to be a significant day. Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai before coming down with the law for the people. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness where he was tempted. And so this story is often the story that is read on the first Sunday in Lent. And I invite you to read along with me. We are in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone, to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me. I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil took him to Jerusalem, placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. The devil had finished every test. He departed from him until an opportune time. So Jesus is still practically dripping wet from his baptism. He goes into the wilderness where for 40 days he is tempted. Now you and I tend to use this word tempted a little casually. You know, like when the server shows up at the dinner table at the end of the meal and says, Can I show you the dessert menu tonight? You think, Oh, that's tempting. But really what this word here in Greek means, pirazo, it really means to be tested, a test. It's a verb, testing. It is a time for you to show what you know, who you are, what knowledge you've acquired. And this time in the wilderness, these 40 days for Jesus is a test. Will Willman writes, in the wilderness during his 40-day sojourn, The devil offers Jesus some tempting, even noble alternatives. Stone to bread, political power, miracles. All good things in themselves, and yet Jesus says no. 
Even these good works do not fit the ministry to which Jesus has been called. Right at the start, Luke reminds us that ministry is, from the beginning, a choice between God's work and our own. Jesus is tired. He's been out there for 40 days. He's hungry. He's probably hangry by now. Turn this bread into stone. Feed your hunger. What's the big deal? Claim that political power. Be the ruler the world needs you to be. You're the son of God. Just do a miracle where everyone can see and know who you are. He's testing Jesus. Each and every temptation, Jesus has to decide, who am I going to be? Whose voice will I listen to? God's or someone else's? And it occurs to me that not a one of us can relate to the kind of temptations Jesus faces. I can't remember somewhat the last time somebody asked me to turn some stones into bread. These are not the kind of temptations I face. But you know what we all can relate to? Deciding which voice we're going to listen to. Deciding whose voice we listen to in our lives with the big stuff and the small decisions we make each and every day that tell us who we are. Years ago in Lexington, there was a man at my church who had served some time in prison for stealing from his workplace. He was, uh, by the time I knew him, this event was all in the rearview mirror, and he really had worked very hard to try and make amends in his life. And he was very open about talking about it. And one day, the thing is, I remember him telling me, he said, the, where I went wrong is that I began to tell myself that I deserve this. He said, I am underpaid. I am not appreciated. I deserve this. They wouldn't have this money in this business if it weren't for all my hard work. I deserve this. That's the lie he told himself again and again and again. But each day we all face big moments, small moments where we decide really who we are and whose voice we're going to listen to. Even small things. Maybe you're on a mad dash through Kroger's. You've got a whole 10 minutes to make it in and out of there and you are heading down the aisle and you run into somebody you haven't seen in forever and you happen to know she lost her husband last year and you're ready to just give her a little quick hello and a wave and yet you sense in that moment she really wants to talk. But suddenly you decide to let go of your own agenda and the two of you are having a heart to heart in the cereal line. You make an effort to get to church, even on the rainy days, or you're going to hit snooze for the third time. You stop and notice, really notice the good gifts that God has given you in your life that day. A loyal dog, a beautiful sunny day, a house, a home, a child who wants to show you her latest artwork, or are you just going to be too busy to notice? Or there you are in the midst of a fun and lighthearted conversation and somebody drops a racist joke in your midst. Do you laugh and just play along? Decisions. Every day, big ones and small ones, we make these decisions. And the Savior of the world, 
He faced savior-sized kinds of tests, but for most of us, our testing comes in small, daily ways that we make each and every moment of our lives that ultimately together make up our lives, that tell us who we are, who we follow. You know, one of my favorite authors has this saying, she says, you can get the monkey off your back, but the circus never leaves town. We all make choices about how we spend our lives, about who gets our time, where we spend our money, who we are going to include or exclude, choices we make when life is particularly hard and unfair. Today it reads, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus says, it's written, one does not live by bread alone. The next it says, to you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it's given over to me, and if anyone I please, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus replies, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The third one, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answers him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. With each test, Jesus faces each of these reasonable things. Stop your hunger. Claim political power. Do some miracles. Again and again and again, Jesus answers in a very specific way. In fact, I hope you noticed how Jesus answered each of these tests. Did you notice how he answers them? With scripture. He could have just said, no, I'm not going to do it and you can't make me. That's not how he handles it. He doesn't even respond with his own words. He uses the words of his faith tradition. He uses scripture maybe even reminding his own self at each and every test, the voice he is going to listen to. Just a quick side note here. It is, I think, a reminder to all of us to pay attention to the familiarity and the closeness Jesus had with Scripture, with God's Word, and how it helped him find the answer he needed in that time of testing. I hope we all hear a reminder to all of us about the importance of knowing scripture in our lives, of studying God's word, of knowing it for the beauty and the complexity of it, because sometimes we're gonna need somebody else's words. Sometimes we need the words of scripture to help us figure out what we are to do. Peter Gomes, the late great professor of ethics and the chaplain at Harvard Memorial Chapel at Harvard University, he wrote that he, every year he would essentially preach the very same sermon to the students, and he always had the same title. And he titled the sermon, How Are You Going to Live After the Fall? And he writes, innocent pagans, that most of them are, they assume that I'm asking them what their plans are after September, but I'm not. I'm asking them what they're going to do after their first dreams fall from the sky. What are you going to do, I ask them, when you don't get the job, when you don't get the girl or the boy, when you are brushed aside or hurt? What are you going to do? 
What are you going to do after the fall? It's a good question, isn't it? There are moments in all of our lives that come at us a whole lot like a test. Moments that tell us what we are made of and what our faith offers us. A faith that's not just there for us on the good and sunny and happy days, but a faith that's meant to carry us through the darkness, through the wilderness. I remember a lady I knew, Sue, telling me years ago about a friend of hers who helped her immensely through her own cancer journey. And Sue was diagnosed with cancer and she really leaned on this friend who happened to be in the midst of her own cancer journey. She had a second recurrence of cancer, this friend of hers. And Sue said one day, just a couple of weeks after her diagnosis, she was feeling really sad and down and she really had just taken to the bed and had cried herself all day long. And in the midst of the day, she reached out and she called her friend, who also was facing cancer. And she just poured everything out, all that she was feeling right then. And her friend listened for a while. And she said, eventually her friend said, now Sue, are you really, are you hurting right now? Are you in pain today? And Sue said, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm just really down. I'm just so sad. And her friend said, well, what's, what's everybody doing in the house? She said, well, my daughter's got a friend over, and they're swimming in the pool, and my husband's getting dinner ready for tonight. And her friend said to her, perhaps maybe what only a friend who's also facing cancer can say. Her friend said, Sue, get out of that bed. You are wasting this good day that God has given you. Don't miss it. And she did. She got up. I'm not sure what tests you're going to face in your life. Big, giant, once-in-a-lifetime decision moment, or a bunch of daily, million different decisions each day. But all of them are an opportunity for us all to decide whose voice we're going to listen to, and ultimately the kind of person we want to be. And so today, we hear this story of Jesus' test at the start of his ministry. But I'm mindful that in just a few weeks, we'll be talking about a moment at the end of his public ministry when he gathers in that upper room with his disciples, and he will one by one wash their feet. And during that meal, one of his own will betray him. And in that in-between time of what is to come, Jesus goes to the garden to pray, and he asks some of those who are closest to him just to stay awake with him, just to pray, but they can't even do that, can they? They fall asleep. And once again, he's alone in the dark, and he offers this prayer, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Your will be done. Remember that prayer. One day you may just need it. Amen. Amen.